Now, if you, are, if you are new to New Life, you picked a, a great Sunday to be here because we are uh, right on the front end of a brand new message series. Uh, if you've been around New Life for a while, you know that uh, every fall, uh, we kind of our, our tradition, our rhythm here is we hit pause uh, for about four or five weeks and we dial in on why we exist as a church. In fact, our mission statement is we exist to help people do two things. What are, what are those two things? Fine. And follow Jesus, right? Find and follow Jesus. That's, that's why we exist. Help people find and follow Jesus here in Asheville and around the world. Now, I, w- I want you to know, uh, as someone who personally grew up uh, overseas in other countries, as someone who has lived uh, in, in cultures at, other cultures as an adult, in fact, our uh, oldest daughter, Haley, was born in Jakarta, Indonesia, and so she's uh, Asian-American. She just doesn't look like it. Uh, th- this is, I'm, I'm very passionate about this personally, uh, what we're going to be talking about the next four or five weeks. Uh, but, but more important than this being a personal passion of mine, I, I want to communicate really clearly through this series that, that what we're going to be talking about is the very heartbeat of the God of the universe. And so my goal uh, this morning together is to show you how God's heart for the nations, specifically the least reached among the nations, is woven into the fabric of the entire story of God, from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. And so my plan this morning is just to kind of function as a, a tour guide and just kind of walk you through a handful of passages that I think paint a a very compelling picture of God's heart for the unreached. And then I want to finish with a challenge. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those, turn your Bible app on, head for Matthew chapter 28. That's where we're going to start this morning, Matthew 28. And as you find your place there, let's pause and ask for God's help as we step into his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you and I know for so many of us, we walk in here this morning and there are uh, undoubtedly Uh, So many distractions in our lives, so many things that are uh, tugging at our heart's affection and our mind's attention, even now thinking about things maybe happening in our family or neighborhood or city, the world, God. And our minds and our hearts can just be consumed by these different things, God. And so I, I, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would allow us to lay those things down that we would be able to dial in on what you have to say to us through these ancient words that are very much alive and active and breathed out by you all those years ago. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here with us in this place, in this moment in time, that you would take these truths, that you would impress them in our minds in a way that would sink down into our hearts in such a deep and rich way, that it would change the way that we live our lives and the way that we interact with the world around us. And we pray all these things. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen, amen. Now, before we jump into Matthew chapter 28, I want to just set the stage for you for a moment, if I could. Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the whole story. If you've been in church a while, you, you know the, the deal, right? God creates all that is. He creates the, the land and the sea and the sky, and he begins to create vegetation, like the trees and flowers and bushes and all the amazing things that we see in our creation. And then he starts creating the land animals and the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea. And finally, he culminates his entire creation with human beings, you and I. And he gives the human beings, the first humans, our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, uh, the first commandment in human history. Does anybody know what the first command to the first humans in the Bible was. Go, multiply, and fill the earth. 
See, God, God wants his world to be filled with people who worship and enjoy him. I don't want you to miss that. That's his heartbeat, that his entire world will be filled with his people worshiping him and enjoying him. A few pages later, we get to Genesis chapter 12, and God encounters a pagan man named Abram and later changes his name to Abraham. You may or may not know this, but Abram was a part of a family that was um, deeply rooted in a, a cult that worshipped a moon god. In fact, his father was, was named Moon after this god that they worshipped. Moreover, his wife Sarah was, was barren. She was unable to bear children, which in that day was seen as a curse from God or the gods. And so uh, this means that the family line would, would end with Abram and Sarah when they died. And so it seemed like a very dark and hopeless situation indeed for this couple, worshiping a false god seen as cursed by their neighbors and their family until one day God invades Abram's life and not only changes his story, but changes the story of history through Abram. And I want to just share just, just a portion of this encounter between God and this pagan man and how the world was changed through this encounter. This will be on the screens for you. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, and I want you to underline this word, Go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. In other words, I want you to leave everything that is familiar to you, your homeland, your family, everything that is comfortable to you, and then I'll, I'm going to you to go to a land that I will show you. In other words, I'm not even going to tell you where I'm taking you. I'm not going to give you five steps, seven steps down the pathway. I'm giving you one step down the pathway, and I just want to see that you're faithful to me, that you're going to trust me, that you're going to step out. And I'll tell you where we're going later on, but will you trust me, Abram? Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, underline this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through you, Abram. So God steps into this pagan man's life, and he's like, yeah, no more moon worship for you. You belong to me now, Abram. And by the way, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the negative pregnancy tests, I've heard your cries, I've heard the cries of your wife, and I want you to know, Abram, one day I'm going to make a great nation out of you. In fact, Abraham, I want you to look up at the stars. Can you, can you count the stars? One day your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Now, we know on this side of history that from Abram's line, one of his descendants eventually came the Messiah, Jesus. And all of us who trust in Jesus by faith are now grafted into, as it were, the spiritual family of Abraham. How cool is that? All these years later, we are the fulfillment of this ancient promise from God to this pagan man in Genesis chapter 12. Now, here, here's, what I, here's what I, where I'm going with this, what I want you to see from this, guys. God's heart has always been for the nations. He says, I'm, I'm going to redeem you, Abram, and I'm going I'm to send you so that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So it should be no surprise to us then when Jesus comes onto the scene in the first century in the New Testament covenant, the covenant of grace, that his final command to his disciples after the resurrection, before the ascension to the right hand of the Father, 
that his command to his disciples is very, very similar, as we're about to read in Matthew chapter 28. So I hope you're there. If you don't have a Bible, this will be on the screens for you. This is commonly known as the Great Commission, one of the most famous passages in the entire New Testament. And it starts like this. And Jesus came and said to them, so he pulls his disciples together, right? Judas has betrayed him, so he's got the 11 together. He pulls them in. Hey, boys, here, I'm about to go back to the Father. Here's what I want your lives to be about. This is what I want you to give your lives away to for the rest of your lives until I come back. Here it is. He says, all authority, boys, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who has all authority in heaven and earth? Only one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Here's the command. Here's the commission. Verse 19. Same word, by the way, we see in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of just your little family, of just your little culture, just your little city and neighborhood. No, that's not what he says. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, all ethne, baptizing them in the name of the Father, which we just did. We got to see two glorious pictures of this this morning. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and one of the most meaningful, beautiful promises in the whole New Testament, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now I want you to notice the theme, church family. God's first command to the first human beings, go, multiply, fill the earth. I want my world full of my people who love me, enjoy me, and worship me forever. Genesis 12, he gets to Abram. I want, you to, I want you to go. I want you to leave your country, Abram. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave all your comforts to the place that I will show you. I want you to go. Because I've got a bigger dream and a bigger plan than you could have for yourself, Abram. Jesus shows up on the scene in the first century, says to his disciples the same thing. Go, boys. You can't stay here. Go to the nations. The theme from Genesis to Revelation is Go. I created the world. I love the peoples of the world. I want you to go to them. Now, you need to understand when Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations in the Greek is actually ethne, from which we get our word ethnicity or ethnicities. So Jesus isn't necessarily saying to us today, hey, I want you to go to all nearly 200 geopolitical nations on the map because his map 2,000 years ago looked different than our map. But what he's saying is this, I want you to go to all the people groups. I want you to go to all the languages. I want you to go to all the cultures. I want you to go to all the ethnicities on planet Earth. Why? Because I love them and I have died and shed my blood to redeem them so that they might have life the same way that you have found hope and life in me. And so this is truth number one on the screens for you this morning. Number one, if God's mission is not our life's ambition, we have missed the mark entirely, Christian. If God's mission is not our life's ambition, we have missed the mark entirely with our lives. Now here, here's my concern, if I'm, I'm just being honest, as a, as a pastor in the United States in the year 2022, and I think this would be Jesus' concern if he were to walk into most churches in America this morning. My concern is this. There seems to me to be a very heavy focus in our churches on comfort and preference 
in here with very little thought given to the mission out there. A very heavy focus on our comfort and our preferences in here with very little thought given to the mission Jesus has given us and tasked us to out there. And listen, we can get, and I'm in the same boat, so I'm not, don't hear me tossing any stones at anybody from the platform this morning. That is not my heart. I'm right there with you. But we can get so caught up with, and again, I'm guilty, man. Same, same conversations I've had in the past. We get in the car, we're talking to a friend or a spouse or whatever, like, man, did you like the, did you like the music this morning? Like, yeah, man, like I got goosebumps in that second song. And man, it's really hopping. Or man, it's kind of lame this morning, really slow. Or, Man, the, the, the volume was just too, too high this morning, too low this morning. The songs were too old. The songs were too new. The pastor was funny today. The pastor was boring today. And why didn't he shave that dumb goatee off? And, uh, you know, now you can't stop looking at my goatee, can you? A bunch of sinners. We got all these thoughts, man. Is the kids' ministry, like, entertaining enough for our kids? Is the coffee bar serving my favorite blend? Do they got Starbucks this morning? Do they got Dunkin' this morning? Like, we've solved that dilemma. We got both for you. So we don't have to listen to none of you one, all right? Now, we all know those of us who love the Lord drink the Dunkin'. Those of you who are the seed of Satan drink the Starbucks. Now, it's interesting. I asked... I asked Sharon this morning, our, our queen coffee bee, I said, what gets drunk more? Like, is it, does the Starbucks go first? Does the Dunkin' go first? What do y'all think? Now, now, it's super interesting. She said, at the 9.15, the Dunkin' goes first. At the 11 o'clock, the Starbucks goes first. So I don't know what that says. I guess we got more unbelievers than the 11, so I'm going to preach a little bit harder. But I can tell you this, either way, Dunkin' or Starbucks, as a church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never serve the nectar of Satan here, pumpkin spice coffee. <laughs> never. But listen, man, we can get so hung up, so hung up on comfort and preferences and what's the church doing to me and are they meeting all of my needs and are they, are they bending, are they swaying to my preferences that, listen, guys, and again, we're all guilty of it. I'm in the same boat, but we can do that, and we can do that so much that we begin to forget that Jesus has given us a mission. It's not about this. This is great, man. I'm glad that we gather. I'm glad that we have coffee. I'm glad that we have awesome music. I'm glad that we have cool programming for our kids. Like, man, I'm, I'm all about all of that stuff, but it's not the main point. So many of us, we live our entire Christian lives sidetracked by all these secondary things that we have made primary. And when we take something that's intended to be secondary and we make it primary, God calls that idolatry. And we tread on very dangerous ground. And one example, just to kind of illustrate this perhaps, as I was thinking about this concept this week, is my community group uh, just a couple months ago uh, every once in a while, we do like a fun social uh, event. And so we decided to go to an escape room. And uh, so it was guys versus girls, right? So the guys, we were in one escape room, and the girls were uh, in, in the other escape room. And if you've never been to an escape room, the goal is to, to solve all of the clues, right? You have all these clues. You've got to figure out what's what. And the mission of the whole deal is to, is to escape, to get out of the room. But there are all sorts of things, if you've ever been to an escape room, that are there to serve as a distraction, 
right? So there are all these props, they call props. And so you pick up the coffee cup and you're like, man, is this part of the puzzle? And you're like looking at it and you're reading like the words on the bottom of it. And there's like a ketchup bottle and you're trying to figure out, is the ketchup bottle a part of solving the whole thing? And so like, you're so distracted by all these things and you're trying to figure out what's what. And then for me, like I could hear our wives in the other room and every time they would solve a clue, they would start giggling and laughing really loud. And so then I'm getting even more nervous and more distracted. Like, man, they're going to beat us. Like, like, boys, come on, we got to do this. And then all of a sudden I heard them break out of the room and they got out into the lobby. They realized that they had beat us. And so it sounded like Tennessee just beat Alabama. It's just like, rah, they're roaring out there. And then I'm just like, yeah, thanks for rubbing it in. And so I'm out there and I'm just, I'm so distracted by the coffee cup that I thought was part of the deal. And our wife's mocking us. I'm so distracted by all these things. And so finally we got out as the guys, we beat the buzzer, but we lost. And a big reason why we lost is we got distracted. Listen, guys, we got distracted by the wrong things. Our mind's attention and our focus went to things that really didn't matter in the end and certainly were not helping us accomplish our mission and get out of the escape room. I want you to listen to me, church family. The same exact thing happens to us on repeat spiritually. We come to faith in Jesus and bam, man, we're excited. We're in the kingdom of Jesus. Man, I know Jesus now. I get to walk with him. I get to experience abundant life. I get to spend forever with him and God's people. Like, this is going to be awesome. We tell our friends, right? We start Bible studies and we sign up for mission trips and it's all awesome. We're on fire for the Lord and somewhere along the way, tragically but predictably, between the bills and the doctor's appointments and the kids' soccer practices and relational problems at home, we begin to forget the why behind the what. The yes, man, Jesus has rescued us and ransomed us. Like, praise God for that. That now in Christ, our, our present has purpose. Our future is secure, but we forget that he has blessed us to be a blessing to the nations. Now, let me show you what I mean, lest you think I'm just making this up. This is Psalm 67 on the screens for you. It says this, may God be gracious to us, underline this, and bless us. May God bless us. It's not wrong to pray that God would bless us, by the way, and make his face shine upon us. Now, this is the key, though. In verse 2, there's a pivot, right? I want you to underline two words, so that. That connects the blessing to the purpose of the blessing. God bless us. Shine your face on us. For what reason, God? So that, he's about to tell us, so that your ways, whose ways? Your ways, my ways? No, no, God's ways, so that your ways, God, may be known. Where? On the earth, your salvation among all the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Now, church family, don't miss what just happened there. God says, listen, I'm going to bless you so that, in order that, my ways may be known among all the peoples, all the ethne. In other words, God is saying, I'm blessing you, son. I'm blessing you, daughter, so that you would be a blessing to those who have never heard. To take this beautiful gift of knowing me and being forgiven by me and redeemed by me to others who also need to experience my goodness 
and my redemption and my forgiveness. Church family, your blessing is not intended to terminate on you. You are blessed to be a conduit, to be a blessing to others, specifically to the nations, and even more specifically to the unreached among the nations. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the current world population is just north of 7.5 billion. Of those, of that number, anthropological researchers estimate that, get this, 3.2 billion of them are unreached. 3.2 billion. Now, this doesn't simply mean that these people are lost and they're not following Jesus. There are plenty of people just like that in Asheville in our neighborhoods. What this word unreached means is that these 3.2 billion people live in places that have little to no access to even hear the good news of God's love in Jesus, not even once. People who are born, little baby, boys and girls, who live their entire life, 60, 70, 80 years, and die without hearing one time there's a God in heaven who loves them so much that he came on a rescue mission for them and lived a perfect life and died a brutal death and rose again to give them forgiveness, hope, and life in this life and in eternity. Not once. People are born, live their whole lives, and die. Never hear there's hope in Jesus. 3.2 billion people, church, we can get lost with a number like that. Don't get lost. 3.2 billion people just like you. Just like your kids, your son, your daughters, your grandkids. People just like us. Little boys, little girls, college students, men and women, just like us with hopes and dreams who are hopelessly lost in their sin headed for a Christless eternity while we sit on our padded chairs, drinking our designer coffee, wondering why the AC is too cold this morning. And there are places all over this world where you can walk, literally walk up to people in the street and ask them what they know about Jesus, and their answer will be, who? Never even heard. Not one single time. All over the world. And you might say, well, Chris, that... That's great, but aren't there people who are lost and separated from Jesus right here where we live in our neighborhoods, right here at home? And the answer to that question is, of course there is. Of course there is. And we, man, we all ought to be sharing Jesus with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our classmates, with our friends, through word and deed right here. But listen to me, they are not unreached. Why? Because they have access to Christians and access to to churches, they are not unreached precisely because they know you, Christian. Because you live in their neighborhood. You're their access point. Make sure you're a faithful access point. They're not unreached because they work with you, Christian. They go to school with you. And their kids play soccer with your kids. They have access to the gospel of Jesus while billions of people live and die without ever hearing one single solitary time about the hope they can have in Jesus. And church, I want you to hear me say this clearly. We cannot ever be okay with this. Not ever. I don't think God's okay with this. I want you to know our leadership team, our LG, we're not okay with this. I hope you're not okay with this. 
Hope this stirs your heart. Like God's heart for the nations, hope it stirs your heart for the unreached nations. It ought to. That leads us right into truth number two on the screens for you. As long as billions, 3.2, have never heard, our task, church family, remains unfinished. As long as billions have never even heard the name of Jesus, our task remains unfinished. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15. Paul writes this after talking about all the cities where he's gone on his missionary journeys and he's shared the gospel of Jesus and planted all these churches. He says this, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, and he quotes Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul's like, listen, guys, I can't stay in Jerusalem. I know you want me to say, I can't stay in Jerusalem. I can't, I can't stay in Ephesus. I can't even stay in Corinth with all their problems. Why, Paul? Why can't you stay in any of these cities? Like, are you saying that like, you, you can't stay there because everybody there already believes in Jesus? Paul's like, no, of course not. I, I can't stay there because there are already Christians there now. And there are established churches there now that, that can reach those places. And so Paul goes, so now I am compelled to go to the places that don't have any access to the only news that matters. And church, I want you to hear me say this. Good news is only good if it gets there on time. Good news is only good if it gets there on time. I want to share with you a part of a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached to his church in London in the year 1873, and I think it's appropriate based on the scriptures that we're looking at this morning. This is what Spurgeon preached to his congregation so many years ago on the screens. It says this. Spurgeon says, once more, he who really has this high estimate of Jesus will think much of him, and as the thoughts are sure to run over at the mouth, he will talk much of him. And then he asks his church a question, I think a good question for our church, do we so? Is Jesus on the tip of your tongue as you talk to your neighbors and your friends and your classmates and your co-workers? Is he ever in your mouth? Are you thinking about him? Are you strategizing ways that you can share this glorious good news with those who are dying hopelessly without him? Spurgeon continues, he says, If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will become more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. And then he goes real deep, real fast, and it's a good word for us today. He says this, Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. He says, remember that. Don't forget that. You're either a missionary or you're an imposter. You either try to spread, the, the, spread abroad the kingdom of Christ, taking the gospel to the nations, what we just talked about, or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Hard words, but good words for us this morning, church family. Listen. We, we were made for this moment in time. The church family, I want you to know, we, we live in a very unique time and space in world history, unlike any other, where the completion of the Great Commission is possible within our lifetimes. 
with all of the technological advances that we've seen the last 20 years, with the ability to travel quickly, perhaps for the first time in human history, we can say that the completion of the Great Commission is possible in our lifetime. But hear me say this, only possible if the church wakes up from her slumber and repents from her indifference and apathy towards the nations. It begins to live out her purpose of seeing all the nations come to know and worship our resurrected king. Now, the apostle John gives a, a really beautiful uh, picture of what the culmination of this will look like in eternity. This is what John sees in this vision God gives him in Revelation chapter 7. John says this, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Christian, that is our future. And we have been invited to take our place and participate in making this beautiful vision a reality for eternity. Let me plead with you, friend. Please do not spend your life chasing trinkets and toys that will rust and fade. Don't do it. Instead, spend your life in a story so much bigger than any one of us. Give your life away. Invest your life into the rescue story of a God who loves rebels and sinners just like you and me. I want to make one plea to you. This is our last truth this morning. Number three, church, let's learn to love Jesus more than we love the American dream. Let's learn to love Jesus more than we love the American dream. Now, understand this, church family. I love our country. I've had the privilege of living all over the world, and I love our nation. I love the freedom that we experience here, even this morning, to gather in a place like this without fear, at least for now, of the government kicking down our doors and arresting all of us. I'm grateful for the material wealth that we experience as a nation, and whether you realize it or not, historians tell us that we are the wealthiest nation to ever exist on planet Earth. The Roman Empire had nothing on us, Greece, none of the great... Roman, none of those empires have anything on us. All of them combined don't hold a candle to the wealth that our country experiences and enjoys now. And I'm appreciative of that. I think it's a blessing. I think there's a purpose behind the blessing, but I appreciate the blessing. But hear me say this, church, our greatest blessing can very quickly become our greatest curse. Our greatest blessing can so quickly turn around and become our greatest curse. Because we can become so distracted by chasing the dream. And listen, my heart is tugging right there along with yours. The temptation can always be, man, man that next house, man, let's, let's build that dream house. And you hear the terminology, let's, let's build our forever home. Listen, if you're a Christian, ain't no home here going to be your forever home. Stop talking about your dream house or your forever home. That's foolish. We can spend our whole life chasing the upgraded house and the brand new car and the white picket fence and the 1.7 kids and the big 401k retirement plan, the nice vacations. Look, and I love all those things. I'm about those things. I'm just telling you, if we take something secondary and we make it primary, that's idolatry. 
And we so easily can spend our entire lives remodeling our kitchens to look like magazine covers and buying newer, cooler cars and taking nicer vacations and upgrading our iPads and iPhones every single year. So much of that, so much so that we begin to miss the point of our whole lives. Don't miss the point of your life, friend. The scriptures are clear. You have been blessed for a purpose. You have been blessed to be a conduit of blessing to the nations that have never even heard the name of Jesus. Listen to Paul as he writes in Romans chapter 10. He writes this, for, and I love this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a beautiful promise, isn't it? Simple faith. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord places their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ will be saved, forgiven, redeemed, get forever in heaven with Jesus. Verse 14, this is the challenge. How then will they, the 3.2 billion who have never heard, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And that word preaching just means proclaiming, telling. It doesn't mean like what I'm doing right now on the platform. It just means you going and telling somebody that's never heard. Verse 15, and how are, they to, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How will they hear? How will the 3.2 billion hear if we are too preoccupied chasing toys and trinkets to even notice the 3.2 billion who are drowning spiritually while we pass away our years scrolling through social media feeds and watching stupid Netflix shows? If God's goal, and it is, is that all peoples would know and worship him this must become the goal of every Christian and every church on planet Earth today. Must become. Now let me ask you a question. If God's goal is that all the nations would come to know him, and it is, and that's not your goal, guess whose goal needs to change? Not his, it's ours. And so here's the big idea this morning. If you forget all the three points, all the scriptures, don't forget this. On the screens for you, here's the big, big truth this morning. The need is great, 3.2 billion. The task is urgent. Thousands of that 3.2 billion will die today without hearing once. And tomorrow, thousands more will die. And the day after that, thousands more will perish with no hope. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. The task is urgent, friend. The task is urgent. And number three, the people of Jesus have been sent. Make no mistake about it. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you have been sent. The only question that remains for the follower of Christ is, what is your part to play in this mission? The question is no longer, is there a part for me to play? Is this like a multiple choice thing where I can, I can choose this over here? Some people choose mission and I can choose hanging out comfortably in the church. No, no, no. It's not a multiple choice deal. This is your command, follower of Jesus. You are either living in obedience or you are living in disobedience, but you have a part to play in this mission. Your only question is, what is my part to play in this mission? Now, I want to finish by reading to you from Revelation chapter 5. This is a picture of the day that God is working all of history toward, and this is John, one of Jesus' closest friends, probably his best friend as an old man 
exiled on this island, forgotten by humanity. God gives him this glorious vision of what that final day in eternity is going to be like. And it's chock full of symbolism and imagery, but I want you to see the truths that undergird this beautiful passage. Revelation 5, starting in verse 1. John says this, Then I saw, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's God the Father, a scroll. Now this is important. This scroll, scholars tell us, contains uh, the, God's plan for ending all of the suffering in the world, right? All of the pain, all of the disease, all of the death, all the rapes, all the murder, all the injustice, all of it, a lot of important stuff are in the scroll. Written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel, John says, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it and John says, I begin to weep loudly. As John considers all of the pain and all of the suffering of this world, and like this is the thing that can bring it to an end and nobody can open it. And he's got to be thinking, is this going to be forever? Are kids forever going to starve to death because they don't have enough food? Are thousands upon thousands going to continue to die every single year because they don't even have clean drinking water? Are 3.2 billion going to continue to die without the hope of the gospel of Jesus? And he's weeping loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is a picture of our resurrected King Jesus with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you think that your prayers matter, Christian? Where are your prayers right now? In the throne room of God as a pleasing incense and aroma to our king. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, listen to this, people for God, from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbing, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. This is an army of angels saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Church, that is the end of all of history. That is where we're going. And I need you to understand the need is great. The task is urgent. And the people of Jesus have been sent. So I want to close with a pastoral challenge, a congregational challenge, a missions challenge. Number one, church family, I want, to, I want to invite you in the coming days, weeks, months, years 
to join me in praying fervently and consistently that the unreached would be reached with the gospel of Jesus. Now listen, church, I, I, don't, um, I don't pretend to understand all the mechanics of this. This is certainly a mystery to me. I don't understand why, but the message of Scripture is clear. God is moved to action by the prayer of his people. Again, I don't understand why the Almighty, the sovereign of the universe, is moved by my puny prayers or your puny prayers. I suppose it's just like I'm moved by the cries of my kids. He's a good father, and he's moved by our cries and our petitions. And so let's pray that the unreached would be reached in our lifetime, that God would raise up those to go and that he would raise up others to send those who are being called out to go. Now, if you'd like a good resource, I'm going to put a link on the screen for you, joshuaproject.net. They have all kinds of prayer resources for the unreached. They have uh, uh, apps that you can download that will help you pray. So if you want to be serious about engaging the Father, that the nations, that the 3.2 would be reached in our lifetime, that's a great resource for you. Number two, I want to challenge you to give sacrificially. Now, if you're new here, you're a visitor, this is not for you. But if you're a part of our faith family, if you're a team member here, if you're a regular attender, you consider this place your church home, I want you to know that in four weeks' time, November 13th, we're going to take up what we call our annual Send Missions Offering. And that money all goes to fund missions efforts for our church and through our partnerships in 2023. I want to encourage you to be praying about what God would have you sacrifice so that the $3.2 billion might hear the glorious good news of the gospel. you got four weeks to think about it and pray about it. In fact, we'll take that offering through the end of the year. Be thinking about how many pumpkin spice lattes you can sacrifice, you can forego, so 3.2 billion can hear. Just for the record, I'm sacrificing all of them. I'm giving them all up so that they could hear about the gospel of Jesus. But would, would you begin to pray? Say, God, what can we go without so that others might hear? And then thirdly, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to go to the nations. Now listen, I realize everybody can't go. There are physical limitations, there are health concerns, all of that is totally valid. But here's what I want to say. Many of you in this room can go and should be going. And for you not to go is disobedient to the commandment of our Savior. And my challenge for you, if you're not hindered by medical conditions, my challenge to you is to commit to go with us in 2023. In fact, I'm going to put uh, Pastor Rodney, our mission pastor's email address on the screen right now. Pastor Rodney, this is his email address, rhowell at nlcca.org. Listen, just email him and say, I want to talk about a trip in 2023. That's all you got to say. He'll contact you. You guys can have coffee. You can meet. We can get you plugged into the right trip. And my goal is that he would receive so many emails that he hates me for the rest of his life for giving out his email on Sunday morning. Listen, and, and also, you know, our elders have also set aside some funding so that finances are not a, a barrier to you. So don't, don't use finances as your excuse not to go. We'll make it affordable. If God is calling you to go, and if you love Jesus and you're able, he is calling you to go. I want you to know that. We can make this affordable for you to go. Don't let that be your excuse. Go ahead and get your passport now. Let's plan to go together in 2023. Church family, I want you to know, man, we have been invited into a big, beautiful, awesome adventure of seeing the nations come to know our resurrected king. 
that his heart for all the nations to, to worship his son Jesus, like that's, that's out there, like that, that's attainable even in our lifetime if we will take this commandment seriously. So church family, let's pray together, let's give together sacrificially, let's go with a godly ferociousness that will please our Savior for the good of the world, the 3.2 billion who have never heard, and for the glory of our King. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship this King who is worthy of all the nations worship. Heavenly Father, we come to you. God, and I personally am so grateful that you've invited us as your sons and your daughters into this awesome adventure of reaching the nations with Jesus. God, we know that you don't need us, but you invite us in because you love us as your sons and your daughters. God, would you help us, especially as wealthy American Christians, would you help us not be distracted by all the toys and trinkets so, so much so that we miss the whole point of our lives? The whole point of our blessing. God, remind us that you bless us not to, not to just spend the blessing on ourselves, but you bless us specifically so that we might be a blessing to the nations, those who have never even heard one single time that you love them so much that you came, you lived, you died, you rose so they can have life in you now and forever. God, would you help us make a commitment right now in our hearts to pray, to, to beg, God, please, would you raise people up? Would you send people to the 3.2 billion? If I'm supposed to be a part of that, God, would you make it clear to me? I, I don't want to be disobedient. I don't want to waste my life. God, would you help me put my money where my mouth is? Would you put, help me put my finances, my resources where your mission is? that people would come and see and taste that you're good, that in you is forgiveness of sin, hope, and freedom. And God, would you help us to go? Help us not be cowards. Help us not cower in the corner because we're fearful of going. Just like Abram, God, would you, would you help us to say yes before we even know what you're asking or where you're asking us to go? You've said go, help us say yes. You've said go, help us say yes. And you can tell us later, God, where that is. Help us give you our yes and let you put it on the map in 2023. Help us trust you enough to just go ahead and put all of our cards on the table and say, yes, God, whatever you want. All of my resources, all of my money, all of my time, all of my vacation time, so that 3.2 billion can have hope in you, if that's what it takes. God, I'm giving you everything. I want to be a part of your mission. Please help me not waste my life on things that will not count in the end. God, we love you. could never thank you enough for inviting us into this mission. Help us respond in obedience this morning. For the sake of the world, for your glory, King Jesus. Amen. Church family, let's stand. Let's worship our King.